The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. That's a weekly and monthly newsletter. And uh, my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, uh, is in partnership with Chen Lin. He publishes a newsletter called What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? More of a trading newsletter. Mine is more of, a, of an investment newsletter. But Chen's letter uh, is, uh, has done very well for people over the years, and you might want to consider doing so. However, if you're interested in signing up for Chen, uh, you don't have a, a lot of time to do it. Uh, you have actually uh, the rest of today. Uh, to sign up, um, actually through tomorrow, I guess, to sign up for Chen's letter. Uh, you can go to uh, miningstocks.com to sign up for Chen. You need to put your name on the waiting list there uh, with Chen, uh, and then you'll get an email shortly thereafter uh, inviting you to uh, to subscribe to Chen's uh, What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Uh, you can also call our office uh, through up through the end of the day. Uh, for another two hours or so today uh, in New York at 718-457-1426 to sign up for the letter. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, and I would like to invite you to keep your questions and comments uh, coming this way to questions4taylor at gmail.com, questions, the number 4taylor at gmail.com. I do read every one of them that comes this way. I just don't find the time to comment on them uh, on the show as much as I would like, but uh, uh, frequently answer them. Uh, so if you send questions for, uh, send your comments, criticisms, praises, what have you, your thoughts to questions for Taylor at gmail.com, greatly appreciated. Also like to invite you to follow me on Twitter. My handle is jtaylormedia. And uh, also want to thank our sponsors for making this show uh, economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Novo Resources, Cornerstone Capital Resources, and Balmoral Resources. I've titled today's show, Positive Proof That the U.S. Government Is a Criminal Enterprise. Well, that may be a shocking title and probably, uh, you know, will, will cause some consternation among some circles. 
but uh, hear me out and, and hear our guest today, Franklin Sanders, out is he's going to appear for the first time uh, on this show. And then finally, we're getting Sean Wallace. He's the CEO of a dynamic new gold exploration company, namely RN Resources. Well, Sean will be with me uh, again today. He was with me last season. Uh, it, it is a very exciting company, one of my favorites, one that I own in my retirement account, RN Resources. Well, with legal justification back in the 1970s, uh, Franklin Sanders believed that gold and silver is money, and therefore exchanges of gold and silver money for paper money could not legally be subject to sales tax. Completely ignoring the law, however, both the state of Tennessee and the federal government worked together to imprison Sanders for refusing to submit to federal and state government falsehoods. Courageously, Sanders refused to knuckle under to the government force. He refused to give in to the government's lies and as such challenged the banking elite who have not only survived and are now in the process of bankrupting the Western world. We saw it happened after 2008, 2009. The debts were passed on. Uh, the bad loans made by the banks uh, basically passed on to the public to pay those, uh, those dastardly deeds off. And letting the bankers go free, essentially keeping, their, uh, keeping all their wealth and their fancy homes out on Long Island and wherever else they have them around the world. But anyway, Franklin, his courageous efforts to expose truth also shows, in my view, that America is not really a nation of laws, but rather increasingly a nation of powerful men who own and control our government through the banking system. Today, I want to ask Franklin to tell his story and, time permitting, get him to also give his views on where the markets are heading because I believe Franklin's insights into the topic of, of the markets, uh, the equity markets, the debt markets, the, the precious metals markets are as good as anyone uh, I know. Most importantly, though, for today, I want to ask Franklin how he thinks we can joyfully and confidently prepare to meet the hardships that most certainly lie ahead, given the massive debt-based money creation forced on the American public by the banking establishment, uh, again, that establishment that seems to own, increasingly own and in controlling our government, uh, and uh, both in domestic and foreign policy, I believe. Before we get to Franklin's story, however, we do have to. We, we will have a happier story to talk about, and that is uh, one of an evolving gold exploration company with the same management that made my listeners and subscribers of mine a lot of money in 2014. That was through Caden Resources. Well, uh, Ivan Bebek and uh, and Sean Wallace, my guest, uh, have teamed up once again uh, to, I think, to most likely engage in a very successful effort this time in the Nunavut. It's in Canada's Nunavut, uh, a, a very high-grade, looks to me like a multi-million ounce high-grade gold deposit in the making. Uh, these guys do their homework. They've looked at tons of different projects before they selected this one. Uh, they have a very successful track record, so I think it would pay you uh, to stick around after the break to hear what Sean Wallace has to say. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Sean Wallace. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
Novo Resources Corporation, trading symbols NSRPF on the OTCQX and NVO on the Canadian Securities Exchange, is an advanced junior mining exploration company whose highly prospective assets are located in the Hammersley Basin of Western Australia. Novo's flagship asset, its Beaton's Creek Project, has an NI43101 compliant resource of 420,000 ounces at a grade of 1.5 grams per ton. With $10 million in cash and strong shareholder support from Newmont Mining, Novo looks to complete a feasibility study in the first quarter of 2015. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm glad to have with me for a second time Sean Wallace. He's the president and CEO of RN Resources. It's a company that trades in Toronto under the symbol AUG, and you can buy it down here in the States, as I have, under the symbol GGTCF, recently trading at around $1.50 in Canadian money. Uh, there's uh, only about 30 million shares outstanding prior to an acquisition the company plans uh, to make, but uh, it's, a, you know, it's a relatively small cap company with, uh, I think, some assets that are very exciting. You know, it usually makes sense uh, to stick with winning management teams, and RN Resources has exactly that. In the persons of Sean Wallace and Ivan Bebek, both jointly involved as partners in structuring deals for highly prospective mineral properties. And together, these two men and their teams bring bring together the essential skills, I believe, of proper deal structuring, financing, and geotech, all those expertise that are required to, to move a, an exploration project forward towards, uh, towards a viable economic project. Listeners to this show, uh, as well as my subscribers, recently were richly rewarded in 2014 for buying shares in Caden Resources, which uh, was really spearheaded by Ivan. But both of these co-equal partners dive into their deals with all the necessary efforts to make them work. And I think the odds highly favor an encore uh, for the Bebek and Wallace team this time, which is why I'm really happy to have Sean with me once again. Thanks, Sean, for joining me again. No, thank you, Jim. You know, the main news event for RN shareholders uh, since you and I spoke uh, on the show a few weeks back, has been the agreement with North Country Gold Corp uh, to acquire that company's uh, property up in the Nunavut, uh, which is a very exciting property called the Committee Bay Gold Project. And I do want to have you address that because it is so important. Uh, but before we get to that, I would like to, uh, for the benefit of listeners who may not have heard you uh, previously on this show or may not be at all uh, aware of, of what uh, your project is all about. Can you talk to us a little bit about the Committee Bay Gold Project and what caused you to invest in that one over many dozens of others that I know you looked at? Well, sure, Jay. Um, you know, we, we've gone through a rigorous process um, and we had some uh, looking at various projects in various jurisdictions. And, and, you know, in a market like this, we took a very patient um, approach to it. In other words, 
you know, we saw some good things, but uh, we wanted to make sure we found the best thing. And I think we've done that with this particular project. Uh, the best for what our goals are, which is to be able to discover new gold resources. Um, and, and, and I think that's really important because it's that exploration look, that, that potential to expand what's known about it, uh, that really gets us excited. And I think that's where we can deliver the most value for shareholders. You know, we're an exploration-driven group. Uh, we're not going to go in there and build a mine. Or, uh, you know, it's not our engineering prowess that has us, you know, delivering value to people. It's the ability to discover high-quality gold resources. And this project has that opportunity in space. Um, the other important aspect about it, uh, other than having good grade and, and being well endowed with gold, is the fact that this particular project is 300 kilometers long. <laughs> and when you look at, there's a, there's a main deposit there called the Three Bluffs, and it's about 9 million ounces of 8 grand or something, and it's, it's going to expand, and that's all great and everything. Um, but really, what, if that was all there would have been to it, it probably would not have been so interesting to us. Um, however, you look at over this 300 kilometers, uh, you know, there's only 60 holes that have been drilled. And of that, a, a large number of them intercepted, you know, fantastic, uh, and obtained a, a fantastic result. And it was sort of consistently over, over the, of this project. So that really spoke to the endowment. And it gave us what we call a district look. It was in a district in our, in our definition. Um, is, is, a, is a geological setting or a trend that has the opportunity or has the uh, ability to produce several gold deposits. And we believe that's, that's, that's what we're chasing here. And then finally, the jurisdiction. So obviously Canada, um, Nunavut being one, a good place in Canada, um, you know, aside from the remoteness, which is the challenge. But other than that, you know, good mineral tenure system, you can, you can get projects permitted, you can, you can operate. And, and of course, that's extremely important as well. So you've got 300 kilometers of strike, of, of structure, I guess, that you've determined is there. So you have an awful lot to shoot at, and I see this past Tuesday you reported uh, that uh, you are initiating an exploration program that will focus on, uh, on the southwest region of the Committee Bay Gold Project. Can you comment on the, on the goals of this uh, drill program? Yeah, so it, 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 um, uh, there, we are doing a drill program. We brought one rig up for this, this summer. Um, we're focusing on the southern part portion of the, of, of the, uh, of the project. Um, uh, frankly, because we, that's where we finished our prospectivity study on that portion already and we uh, managed to, uh, to get ahead of the drill, as we say. In other words, we've done enough, um, work that we've outlined a number of high quality targets. Um, and we're quite excited about it. So we're going to go drill down there. The goals would be to make, you know, to discover, um, one or more new deposit footprints. And, you know, if you, if you look at, at the map, there already are, uh, uh, you know, at West Plain, uh, you've got, uh, uh, historically, uh, 14 and a half grams over eight and a half meters, 13 grams over eight meters. So this is the kind of, uh, target that we're going to be chasing down there. Um, in doing our prospectivity analysis, we actually took all the spatially coalescing data, in other words, you know, geophysics, geochemistry, uh, structure, structure which is so important um, in, in this setting. In other words, you know, you need the faults going up, iron-banded formations, and this is where the gold occurs. And, you know, the nice thing is that this in itself would just be sort of um, uh, academically interesting, but the fact that we know that this is an endowed gold system has a 
makes it really quite exciting. So the goal here is to go there, um, test some of these targets, and try and uh, develop deposit footprints. And we have outlined nearly 20 of these potential footprints um, with our prospectivity analysis. Wow. So how long can you drill up there in that frigid environment? How, how, long, how many summer months can you be active? Well, sure, yeah, and even, you know, right now it's, uh, the snow's kind of gone and the, and the, the temperatures are above, above freezing and so forth, so it's, it's not as frigid right now, but uh, it's certainly relative to down here it is. But uh, the, uh, we can drill until, you know, October mm-hmm. comfortably. Um, uh, we'll, we'll see, we tend to hit these things hard. In other words, you go up there, you, you do as much work as you can, as quickly as you can, because, you know, the per day cost, if you will, of running the, the infrastructure of the site, uh, it, it can add up. So we want to get all, as much technical work uh, done as quickly as possible, obviously still keeping quality uh, as a, as on the forefront um, of the quality of the work, and, uh, and, and you go from there. Would you have, uh, you know, in a faraway frigid place like Nunavut, and, you know, with the infrastructure issues, uh, you, you, uh, you know, you're saying that that is the challenge, um, and... But at some point, enough high-grade gold ounces will can make a project work. There have been other projects up there uh, north of you know in that, in that area that have been uh, have been profitable. I'm thinking, looking way back many years ago, the Lupin mine was way up there somewhere in in that uh, north that far, and it was a highly profitable, profitable high-grade underground mine. Are there other mines out there now that um, can you give us an, an example of some other projects that that may have been successful up in the in the far north and uh, also, maybe you could uh, give us an idea of what you, how many ounces do you think would be required before uh, the economics might s- start to attract major mining companies? Sure. Um, you know, uh, I, I, you know, right now, up and not too far from us, you, you have Agnico Eagle drilling off a, a new discovery they made, sort of s- uh, northwest of their uh, Meadowbank mine, which is a, a producer uh, that. I think in 2015 they they produced about 400,000 ounces wow. with a cash cost of uh, $656, which wow. is you know pretty bloody good even yeah. if, if, you know compared to anywhere, let alone in the Arctic. Um, and, and this and their new discovery called Amarac, you know they've spent 20 million dollars already. Um, they came up with a maiden resource of 1.5 million ounces of seven grams. So and and that spurred them to continue spending and drilling and you know Agnico's had a bunch of public disclosure about how excited they are about that so that's been very you know in terms of um, uh, bringing credibility to the area and the fact that it's worth spending money up there but here you have Agnico which is a fantastic company uh, up there doing that kind of work you've also saw the this just this week uh, a company called TMAC um, they did an IPO and it was successful and it was over, it, it, it upsized the, the, the amount of the money they raised in this market wow. in the Arctic. So you have this kind of activity going on right now. And, uh, Sabina, uh, um, is, is getting going again. You start, uh, you know, Bruce McLeod has taken over the reins of that and, you know, he's, he's a very capable guy. So, you know, I know something's going to come out of, of his involvement. And, and so, you know, you got really good people up there spending real dollars in this environment, which is, uh, it's almost counterintuitive, but it's, it's very, um, you know, it's very supportive when you have uh, people bringing, uh, you know, uh, attention to the area. Yeah. And that's certainly happening right now. And it also cuts down a little bit on this sense of, uh, 
of uh, uh, remoteness, you know, the places that you work out of, you have a number of companies doing the supply train starts to get a little bit better, people gear up and you can you can access things, there's some economies of scale, maybe you share a, a barge of fuel in with somebody and you can, you can mm-hmm. save money. I mean, we're mm-hmm. always looking, I mean, we've hired someone who does nothing but look at ways for us to co- cut costs. Cut costs, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I mean, that's an all-day, everyday exercise. Yeah. Good. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about the proposed acquisition of North Country Gold. Can you outline the proposed deal with North Country and, and how that will benefit our and shareholders? Sure. Um, I think it's going to uh, benefit all shareholders on, on both sides, and they will all be on shareholders shortly. So, um, you know, we have uh, we agreed to uh, um, to pay North Country shareholders one share of oil for every ten shares uh, of North Country, and uh, that. I think we're going to be issuing approximately um, 13 million 800,000 shares to do that. So that'll have us up at about 44 million shares uh-huh. fully diluted, uh-huh. um, but with 100% ownership in this asset. And it's really quite as simple as that. That's it's a, it's a basic share exchange, uh-huh. and uh, and then it consolidates the ownership. There's no more you know JVs and, and JV committees, and all these things are, are great, and, and we were quite willing to operate under that structure, but uh, it can be cumbersome. And when you have a, a, an area like uh, the North in particular, where execution is, is so important and also being prepared for these exploration windows, we discussed, you know, being able to drill sort of from now to October. And then there's another window uh, between, say, uh, February, late February, and, you know, April, May. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, if you miss one of those windows, well, that's half of the work that you would have been able to do that year. And that's, that's not, that's not good. So, yeah. You know, this way we, we de-risk the project uh, from a little bit of execution risk. So you, that was really important to us. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so you don't have to, I mean, now you will, once this deal is consummated, assuming it is, and I think the odds would seem to favor that it will be, then you will have 100% ownership. Uh, do you plan to still spend, though, at least as much as you had to spend in order to earn your, uh, earn your interest in this project? Well, I think, in fact, because we don't have to consider someone, another party's ability to raise their portion of it, I would suggest that, uh, you know, all things being equal, if we still continue to maintain the momentum we have and the interest in our company that we've been uh, enjoying, um, I think we would probably spend more as mm-hmm. a result of this. Okay, well, you decided to acquire North Country now, even before you put any drills in the ground. Why did you choose, why now? Why, why now did you think it was time to pull the trigger on this deal? Well, uh, outside the, uh, the need to mitigate the execution risk, that would be one factor. Uh, the other was there was a bit of a discrepancy in, in valuation, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if, if you factored in our market cap, their market cap, what we were trading at and, you know, giving us, a 51% ownership in their 49, there was a discrepancy in value. So I think it was accretive for orange shareholders to take mm-hmm. advantage of that discrepancy. Um, so that, that, that certainly was uh, one of the, the factors. And um, I, I just think that it's much simpler for the market. And, and I know the North Country uh, guys agreed as well. And, you know, we'll all be shareholders of the same entity now. Um, it, it's easier to tell the story of one entity, give shareholders the opportunity if they so desire to, to invest in, 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 a, in, a, in a consolidated story as opposed to confusing them with, well, which one of these two things should I buy, or, you know, and so forth. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mentioned just briefly in the introduction uh, your partnership uh, with Ivan Bebek and how important that's been, how successful you guys have been. This is your third deal, I believe, 
that you're working on, the first two being highly successful. And, uh, but I know that you're relying also on some people that are boots on the ground, people that are really involved technically with the project. I believe your, your leader there is Michael Henriksen. Uh, could you talk about, perhaps just very briefly, uh, talk about his background and if there's anyone else you'd like to mention in your uh, technical team uh, that, uh, that makes it possible, the success that you guys have had in the past uh, possible? Well, sure. You know, and, and uh, Dan McCoy is also a huge part of that. He was part of the Caden story. Mm-hmm. Um, he's on the board here, but he's not. Uh, Michael is the sort of the, the chief technical beast, if you will, for our, for our team um, on Orin. And um, you know, I'm glad you brought that up, Jay, because really, Ivan and I get an awful lot of kudos because um, we're sort of the face of these things. But I can tell you, we would have gotten nowhere without these technical. People. I mean, they sure. want to actually go and, and execute and find the gold and, and, and so forth. And, uh, and you know, um, we're very cognizant of that fact. And uh, Michael uh, comes to us with a, with a great, uh, he's sort of the perfect fit for our company. Uh, we met him over in Africa when we were working on Egan, and he was mm-hmm. working for Newmont. And what he did for Newmont was he was a global structural guy. So something like this is right in his wheelhouse. I mean, He's used to being part of teams that take districts. They do studies on the districts. They narrow down where the target should be on the districts. And, you know, he's worked on, you know, the, in Ghana and in, in, in South America for Newmont, in Carlin, you know, all over. So, and all in these orogenic type systems. So he's got the, all the right relevant experience. And with him, he brings a guy named Dave Smithson, who was the technical lead for Caden. And Dave is uh, just one of the best uh, mappers and, and structural guys also out in the field mm-hmm. and the two of them are really sort of a, they've worked together for years and years and they at Newmont may bring that as well. Um, the other thing Michael has done uh, and one of the reasons we actually made this acquisition uh, now um, uh, going back to your earlier question also is that uh, by he put, they, he put together the entire Newmont team uh, that did prospectivity analysis for Newmont. So you know when you're trying to work an asset to get the kind of results that would attract a major mining company, who better to have technically, you know, formulating that picture than a bunch of people who were on the other side of the table. In other words, the major mining companies sure. know exactly what they need to see before sure. their buttons are all pushed. Sure. And, and, you know, we're talking about, you know, some of the top, top technical people globally for doing this type of work. And so, again, only in an environment like we're in right now do we, A, get a, an asset like this, and, and B, get to work with, with people of this caliber. People of this caliber who can actually make something of a 300-kilometer long uh, <laughs> target, which is unbelievable. Well, it's, it's really an exciting story, I must say. It's certainly one that I've made sure I had a few shares in my portfolio. Is there anything else to, uh, that you think needs to be emphasized before we conclude our discussion today? Um, no, I think that, uh, I think it, we've gone over most of the things, Jay, but I think that, you know, it's really important that uh, um, everyone realize that this is a huge project. We're working on the southern third of it right now. So, you know, this is a story that's going to evolve over time. And so we've put out our prospective analysis on the, on the southern third. That doesn't mean that that's the best third, it might end up being that. We just don't simply, we simply just don't know that. Soon we'll be publishing the prospecting analysis on the, on the middle portion and the northern portion of it. And who knows what's going to come from that. But we're certainly very, very, uh, excited. And, um, you know, we're a young team and uh, you can expect a, a lot of, uh, news from us over the 
coming months and years. You know, you're a young team with a considerable amount of success for uh, for your youth. So it's uh, one of the reasons. And you and and uh, Ivan certainly pull together the the quality people underneath you. And uh, I just I think very highly of your uh, you know collective ability to pull things together on all fronts, which most junior mining companies don't have the, the various skills that are required to make things work. I might tell our listeners then to keep track of the drivers that go forward for uh, for Aurin, that they should, uh, one place to go to certainly is the website. It's A-U-R-Y-N, that's AurinResources.com, A-U-R-Y-N Resources.com, Aurin Resources. And uh, I guess that's probably one of the best places. And if people want to get emails from you uh, to keep up with what's going on, I'm sure that's possible too, right? It sure is, yeah. Or they can phone in any time. We've got a, a team here that's more than happy to, to speak with anyone who is interested in talking about our project. Very good. Well, thank you very much, uh, Sean, for being with us uh, today. I really look forward to doing it again sometime and keeping track of this very exciting story. Thank you very much for being with us. Folks, don't go away because coming up next, right after the break, Franklin Sanders, who has a fascinating story about how our government treated him for asking some honest questions about the right of state governments to charge sales taxes on gold and silver transactions. Well, very controversial, but also very interesting. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Franklin Sanders. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Cornerstone Capital Resources is a prospect generator focused on joint venturing its highly prospective gold, silver, and copper projects in Ecuador and Chile. At its Cascabel Joint Venture in Ecuador, funded by partner Sol Gold PLC, hole five of an ongoing drilling program intersected over 1,300 meters, grading over six-tenths of a percent copper and over half a gram per ton gold. Cornerstone retains a 15% interest financed through to completion of a bankable feasibility study. Symbol CGP on the TS. SXV and CTNXF on the OTC. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Uh, I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I'm really pleased to have with me for the first time Franklin Sanders. Uh, Franklin, after spending two years in the U.S. Army, uh, he attended graduate school at Tulane uh, and the Free University in Berlin. And in 1980, he opened a gold and silver brokerage firm and began publishing the Money Changer newsletter. And uh, I would suggest you draw, jot this, uh, this URL down, the, the site you need to go to to check up on, on all that Franklin is doing and what he has done in the past as well, is the-moneychanger.com, the-moneychanger.com. Uh, and in 1990, 
Franklin and 15 other people were indicted in federal court for conspiracy to delay and defeat the IRS and willful failure to file income tax returns because he had opened a gold and silver bank and had not filed income tax returns since 1975. In July uh, 1991, a jury found him and all other defendants not guilty on all charges uh, on a related state charge fomented by the IRS. Um, Franklin lost, but his incarceration uh, completely failed to uh, rehabilitate him. He's a, a stubborn character, evidently. In 2012 and 2013, he published volumes one and two of a book called At Home in Dogwood Mudhole, uh, recounting his family's move from the city to the farm. Uh, and you can uh, follow up on that work as well by going to dogwoodmudhole.com. Uh, Franklin is an ordained presbyter in the Reformed Episcopal Church and pastors Christ Our Hope Church in uh, West Point, Tennessee. And uh, as he is the author of several books in addition to the one I just noted. I should also tell you that Franklin is also a very savvy investment advisor. Uh, and time permitting today, although I'm afraid we're not going to have enough time to go very far with this today, I'm really hoping to get his ideas uh, on the markets and also uh, how we can face the difficulties that most certainly lie ahead, the things we talk about on this show almost every week. Well, Franklin, thanks so much for taking your valuable time to uh, to chat with us today. It's good to oh, have I'm you I'm glad with to us. be here. Really good to talk to you. I've known you for many years, and I ran across a book just recently uh, that, that you sent me and you uh, inscribed inside the book, um, a very courageous man who stood up for what was right uh, against the Nazis in, in uh, World War II. Uh, and, um, you know, and, and it's a very inspirational book, but your life is very inspirational, so we'd like to uh, also get into that a little bit. You know, some 48 years ago, just before you were married, you picked up a book on the drugstore shelf, and it was written by none other than Alan Greenspan, and it really sort of changed the direction of your life in a, in a major way. The book was titled Capitalism, the Unknown Ideal. Can you summarize the thesis of Dr. Greenspan's book and, and how that really changed your thinking and the direction of your life? Well, the main thing was that uh, Greenspan made just an irrefutable case for the gold standard, uh, for gold, and uh, argued that the only honest money, uh, the only money that could stand up was gold. I would add silver to that today, but that was an mm-hmm. idea that um, just took hold of my mind, and I guess you could say sound money has been one of the one of the threads or or forces pushing me down the road the rest of my life. I, I was just astounded, and of course, you know, I picked up a lot of Ayn Rand's uh, philosophy out of the same book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that would be a topic for another day, frankly, because I know that you are not an atheist, you are a Christian man, uh, and so how to reconcile the two would be a topic I'd love to chat with you about, maybe not on the air, but sometime personally. Uh, but let's go further because our time is so limited. Uh, upon graduating from college, you spent two years in the Army. Then in, in 1969, you attended graduate school in Germany at, uh, and in Tulane University, as, as we just noted, followed by more College at Free University in West Berlin. What impact did these early uh, post-high school years have on your thoughts? I mean, in addition to Greenspan's book, did they, they also played a role in, in your thought process as you evolved uh, into adulthood? Oh, absolutely. The, um, those were the Vietnam War years. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I had gone into the Army uh, after I got out of college with these stars in my eyes. And I had been in the Army about three or four nanoseconds before I figured out what a mistake I had made and mm. how mis- misled I had been. Uh, I spent two years in the Army and then uh, got out and went to graduate school in German at Tulane and then managed to get a scholarship to go to the Free University for a year. Well, mm-hmm. you have to understand, West Berlin at that time was still an island in the middle of Soviet-controlled ah, East Germany. Sure. And, and so on the one side of the, of the wall, you had, in fact, they, they put up the wall uh, not long, long before I got there. But on the one side of the wall, you had this vibrant city where everything in the world was available. And mm-hmm. on the other side of the wall, uh, even at the hot dog stands out in the street, there were lines. Mm-hmm. And they were out of hot, and they were out of hot dogs. So it was it was the most astounding picture of the difference between capitalism and socialism you could possibly imagine. And it was also the most astounding lesson in the importance of being free and the importance of of maintaining that freedom. Every, all the time while we were there, while we were there, they the East Germans actually installed. Uh, electric eyes on the wall connected to machine guns because the guards couldn't be trusted to shoot every single time. Huh. And so people were willing to make... I mean, you, here, here you have this picture in front of you constantly where people are being killed trying to get out of this socialist workers' paradise mm-hmm. uh, and across the wall into, into some kind of freedom. So mm-hmm. uh, you can't... You know, you, you have to... An experience like that stays with you forever. Right. It sure did. And, and the combination of, uh, of Greenspan's book and that experience then led you on to, uh, after, after you left uh, Germany then, came back to the States. And about that time, I guess you were getting married uh, as well, or you would soon get married. But the first thing you did when you, uh, when you came back was you opened your gold and silver business uh, you opened a gold and silver business, that is, I, I guess, about that time when you came back into the States. Uh, and the first thing you did was to write a letter and, and send a certified letter to the Arkansas Attorney General to explain why you believed, based on your understanding of law, the U.S. law, that exchanges of gold and silver money for paper money uh, were not, in fact, or should not, in fact, be subject to sales tax. Can you explain to our listeners the logic behind that view? Well, you know, any of your listeners can go in any state they live in, and they can go look up the law of money, and they're going to find out that somewhere in their constitution or somewhere in their statutes, there will be some kind of statement that says nothing but gold and silver are money. Mm. It's, it's, it's just universal, and that's indeed, when you look for a definition of money in the Arkansas statutes, you're going to find money, or de- money is defined as gold and silver coin. There's a difference between money and notes. And these are universal, these are laws that are universally held both in the federal and the state law. The problem is they're ignored. And I, I couldn't understand why they were ignored. So uh, that, that, uh, <laughs> that so you weren't you... off on a, on a trip through the law, which is not, can, it can be like Never Never Land. Yeah, so you weren't ignoring them, and you were uh, really sort of kicking the authorities in the shins and saying, wake up, this is what your law says. But how did the Arkansas, uh, do do you believe that that's still true today? I mean, it's just as true today as it was then. That's in terms of what's on the statutes. 
Oh, no, no question. But they, here's the way they respond. Silence. They refuse to answer a question they can't answer. Mm-hmm. You ask them a question they can't answer. If you ask them, what does it mean where the Constitution says um, no state shall make anything but gold or silver coin a tender in payment of debt, and what does that make a tender, what is the, the, the tender in, the United, in this state, they just go silent or else they throw you in jail because they can't answer the question. Yeah. If they answer the question, then they're going to be the first judge or the first official in the country that says, hey, the emperor has no clothes. Yeah. Mon- the, the monetary emperor is naked, and we're, we're in contravention of the law in the way that we operate. So, what, would, what would happen to that judge if he did that? Oh, well, you know, he'd be, he'd be laughed out of the country. Even yeah. though it's true, you understand, even though it's yeah. true. Yeah. But he'd, he'd be left out of the country. Mm-hmm. So your letter to the Arkansas Attorney General, you lived in Arkansas at that time, uh, it, it was, it was ignore, ignored then, I guess. Right. And, uh, in fact, several letters were ignored. And then finally they wrote me a letter that said, we don't answer letters. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> basically it said, well, we don't give uh, legal opinions. Well, certainly they give legal opinions. Yeah. But they refused to do it. And so about a year later, the... Uh, Somebody from the Revenue Department uh, showed up and wanted to see uh, all of my books, and I said, well, you know, I've got a confidentiality guarantee with these people I do business with, so if you'll, sure. you, if you'll you know, uh, immunize me from that, if you'll give me a contract immunizing me from any, uh, hold, hold me harm, holding me harmless from any uh, suit they might come up with, then that would be fine. No, they couldn't do that. Well, They couldn't do that. Hmm. So, uh, so anyway, uh, they they sent me uh, a big bill for back taxes, uh, hundred twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, and then, that, uh, that was a lot of money back then, Frank, and it still is. But at that time, especially thinking back on on how much the purchase power of the dollar has eroded, that was a lot of money then. Oh, absolutely. So, I, I did the only thing that I I could do. I fled. Uh, you know, I fled. Move to move to Tennessee, and of course they look that they look at that as criminal. Uh, I looked at it as the only sensible thing I could do. Mm-hmm. Um, but the laws are still there. None of that's changed. Although what has changed is in a lot of states, the uh, sales tax has they they passed laws that specifically exempt silver and gold from sales tax. My argument, and I believe what the law says, is that there's never been any tax. It's not that they're exempt from the tax. They're not subject to the tax because mm-hmm. money is not subject to sales tax. For instance, mm-hmm. if, you go to the bank, if you go to the to the bank and you give them a 20 and they give you two 10s back, they mm-hmm. don't give you a 10, a 5, a 1s, and the change for the sales tax. Right. Because it's an exchange of money for money. And the yes. fact is, you know, Gold and silver money. There are even cases in the United States from the United States Supreme Court that say that the money doesn't have to be stamped as coin. It's money because it's gold and silver. Sure, sure. So I, I'm not as you know. Uh, to some people, this sounds lunatic, but it's not. <laughs> and I, I'm, you know, I spent hundreds of hours in the law library studying it. And the deeper I went down the rabbit hole, the crazier things got because the the more certain I was that I was absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, 
I guess it just goes to show you that uh, you can be correct, but if uh, the guys with the guns say you're not, then you're not, uh, I suppose, is one way of looking at it. That's exactly the way they run the country. The yeah. rule of law is dead. You just haven't yeah. run into You know, I, I say to most people, you just haven't run into it yet. They just yeah. haven't needed to get you out of the way yet. Yeah. So. Well, we, we, we've all run into it without knowing it, perhaps, but that's another story. Uh, so when you went to Tennessee, you started a, a bank, a gold and silver bank. What, what did it do? What was the function? Well, the idea was that we had this right to gold and silver money, but there was no interface between the gold and silver system and the paper system. There was no easy, cheap way to interface. So I started a gold and silver bank to do just that. And um, that, uh, that brought me to the attention of the Internal Revenue Service. And so they began investigating me in 1986. Um, and the real reason that they were doing that was that I, I had done some work with a fellow out in Colorado who had a similar kind of setup because I was interested technically in how he did things. Mm-hmm. And they jumped from they jumped from him to me, mm-hmm. and which is you know the way the way they operate and and because they like to double team uh, people that they they identify as troublemakers, they took this fellow from the IRS and retired him and sent him to work for the state with a brief of finding something to to get on me. Huh. And, interesting. Yeah. Uh, and and remember, you're not paranoid if they really are after you. And I've got plenty of proof that they really were after me. So uh, they were they were double teaming me the whole time. Uh, what happens to you is once you get under IRS investigation, then they uh, they go and get your bank records. Back at that time, you had the bank had to let you know, and you had a chance to challenge it in court. Uh-huh. Now. That's not the case. Now they they can go to the bank and say, I want Jay Taylor's records, and that bank will puke out records until the cows come home, and they'll never tell you a word about never it. Never tell me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's it. Yeah. Well, those are so, part of our liberties that have, have been eroded in the protection against government. Uh, but, but go ahead. Well, you have no privacy. That's just yeah. it. You have no privacy. Huh. So then what they do is they begin to ruin your life. They begin to soften you up. Uh, and the process is to soften you up so that by the time that they indict you, which may be three or four years off, you'll be so, your life will be so destroyed that you won't even try to fight. So mm-hmm. they, they write, to, they get the names of all of your customers off of the checks that they get from the bank, and then they send all of them customers on the stationery of the uh, grand jury, telling them that they've got to turn over this all this information to this IRS agent. And you can imagine that that does not make customers enthusiastic about doing business with you. No. Uh, no fact, it must have hurt your business horribly. <laughs> you just about evaporated it. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And so, so you, you have to add that. And uh, let me go back and correct one thing. My wife and I have been uh, married actually since we were since we were 20, so we went to Germany okay. together and came back Oh, together, together. okay, okay. Yeah, and she's done all this with me, and uh, she's um, she's the most astounding person I've ever met. She just took all this in stride. And, wow. you know, she, any, anybody, you know, she, she certainly would have been justified if she turned to me and said, in the midst of all this trouble, pointed her finger at me and said, this is your fault, you're the one yeah. that caused all this. Yeah. Uh, which would not have been true, but sure would have been human and understandable, but she never sure. did anything like that. And then, of course, uh, they indicted her, too. But they, they jumped in their investigation. They jumped from me to the church I attended, 
Right. Which was, you know, why the church? The, how, how does that figure in? Well, there was a there was a disgruntled member of the church who decided that he would he knew they were investigating me, and he went to the. Uh, uh, it's a long story, but he, he anyway he went to the IRS, and he literally made up stories. He, he oh. just made up stuff. Uh, it was it was crazy, and the the thing is that that they want to believe that the these government people want to believe the worst thing they can possibly believe about you, and so this just escalated their certainty that we must be up to something terrible. So in the finally in the end they they jumped from me to the church. They demanded all of the church's records, which you know at that time we were in the. Presbyterian Church, and the, and the church anyway has a 2,000-year history of fighting the intrusion of the government, oh. and so they got, they were, of course got mad because the church wouldn't turn over documents to them, and they wanted everything. They wanted the counseling, not, not just financial records, you have to understand, they wanted the counseling records, they wanted wow. everything. Wow. And so um, the elders of the church refused to do that, and, and uh, in return, the, um, the IRS had to, had my pastor and assistant pastor and I think uh, 10 or 11 people out of the church indicted. Wow. Okay. And, and then in 1990, the IRS sent in a SWAT team, uh, I guess, to terrorize you and, and arrest you and your wife. And uh, t- oh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know that they always want to do what they call the perp walk on you. The perpetrator walk. That is, uh-huh. they want to walk you in front of the cameras sure. in chains. So that sure. everyone, everyone who sees that will be will be scared, scared to death. Oh gosh, if I don't file my income tax returns, they'll do that to me. Yeah, and they right. like to do that as the tax season begins. And this was January the ninth, nineteen ninety. They the pers- they've been investigating me since nineteen eighty six. So they knew that I was not violent in the least, and mm-hmm. that there was absolutely no danger. And yet, mm-hmm. with what I consider to be criminal negligence for the safety of my family, I had seven children, fifteen and under. And and my wife, they sent a SWAT team out there, and wow. um, it's a, it's quite an <laughs> my goodness, it's quite an experience. My wife was sitting in the uh, my we had a big picture window and a long driveway, and uh, uh, so here all the white Plymouths come. You know, used to they all drove white Plymouths, and wow. all the gov- the nice government men all drove drove nice uh, white Plymouths, and mm-hmm. uh, so they come roaring up the driveway. This is about seven o'clock in the morning, 7.30, and uh, my wife was in the kitchen fixing breakfast, and I, I heard her say, I was in the bathroom shaving, and, and I heard her say, uh, well, one, two, three, four, looks like the IRS is here this morning, kids. Don't be, don't be afraid. They couldn't hmm. be here if God had not sent them. Hmm. And, Interesting. Uh, there was just a, I, I, there was an enormous it was just as if God had cast an enormous calm over the whole place. Interesting. So then, yeah. so then we were all we were all arrested, and uh, I, I had no idea what was going on. I had no idea that they had this conspiracy carnival going on. Uh-huh. But it was kind of like old home week when I got to the <laughs> to the jail cell downtown because <laughs> all, I saw all the these, church people. Yeah, I said, "Well, look at this. We're going to have a meeting here," and. Uh, so, but that's about just about as low, you know. That's about as depressing a place as you can be, having been arrested and they put into your hands this seventy-two page indictment that's, uh, you know, literally an inch thick. Uh, they had indicted twenty-four people, uh, twenty-three besides me, 
And the yeah. theory was that we had this grand conspiracy to, de- to defeat the IRS by means of this gold and silver bank. I see. And, uh, which, is, which was preposterous. It was, never, it was never the reason that was done. But in any event, they had the way they charge in a conspiracy, there's the hub and then the people outside the hub. Mm-hmm. And they had me and my wife, my wife, me, and a fellow named Michael Osborne, who was my partner in the bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had us down for 19 years apiece. We were facing 19 years apiece. Michael was facing 21 for some reason. My wife didn't know anything about my business. You know, I mean, she worked there sometimes answering the phone, but she's homeschooling seven kids. What is she <laughs> What the world is what, how does she have time to get involved with crime? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, okay. Well, we, you know what we have. We have only my engineers telling me only about four minutes, so we got to move along here. Uh, you, you were um, you were exonerated. I think on all counts, everybody was uh, deemed not guilty as you went to trial by jury, right? Right. But it lasted a long time. Yeah. Uh, how long? Well, it lasted from the middle of February until the 9th of July. So exactly a year and a half to the day after we'd been arrested, we were all acquitted. And the charges again were what? Um, willful failure to file income tax returns, conspiracy to delay and defeat the IRS and the function of its duties. Um, I think there were three counts of willful failure. Yeah. And, and, of course, the, the whole defense that we had was there is no statute that makes anybody liable to pay the tax. Mm-hmm. And, and there is. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, there is not. Uh, There's not. If you look, if you look at the the wine tax or the machine gun tax, there's somebody specified. This is the person who has to pay the tax. The sure. only person who has to pay the income tax is a foreign withholding agent. Uh huh. Okay. So anyway, anyway, we the IRS couldn't bring the law into the court. The judge couldn't bring the law into the court. The uh, prosecution couldn't bring the law into the court because it doesn't exist. Okay, and so you were exonerated, but that wasn't the end of your troubles because the IRS still had its eyes on you, and I, or it seems as though that was the case. And so uh, you were thrown back into the, uh, into the Tennessee dispute then again, weren't you? Right, because they had me indicted in Tennessee, but I was the only one indicted in Tennessee. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, that, see, their big, one of their big mistakes tactically was that they had indicted so many people that they couldn't do the very fast trial they liked to do where they just kind of pull the wool over the jury's eyes and the, and the defendants never get to know the jury and the jury never really gets to know why they did what they did. That was more the case in Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I was by myself and the judge effectively stopped my defense. And you know when you when you can't put in a defense, it's real hard to. It's hard. To, <laughs> it's, it's hard, hard to, to prove your, yourself. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, it, it's incredible, uh, Franklin. It really is. But you did spend a, a time then in jail uh, from the Tennessee uh, situation. How much time did you spend there, and and when did you finally get out? Um. I spent a couple of months total, but what I did was the judge had sent had sentenced me to. Um, a year's a year in jail and and a, and a probation for seven years to pay a thousand dollars a month for seven years. Mm-hmm. Well, I, on a class E felony, you only do about two months, and all I had to do was go back to jail and do about twenty days, and I would avoid paying seventy two thousand dollars. So it was paying me several thousand dollars a day to go back to jail. So yeah. I went back <laughs> and I ended up staying forty days and got out in December of. Uh, I guess it was December of 96. 
And, uh, Franklin, we, we've got a minute left only, uh, and I, I wanted to ask you if you can answer this in 30 seconds. If you had prevailed against the IRS in the state of Tennessee, do you think it would have helped uh, the United States, helped us uh, d- uh, clear, stay clear of the disastrous monetary path that we're now embarked on? I have no question. Well, we did prevail against the IRS. We just didn't yeah. prevail against the state. Yes, right. see, they, they prevented the news of that uh, passing around so that nobody else knew about it. You, yeah. you're just, you know, you did, nobody knew about it. That's just the way it worked. Okay, well, look, we're going to have to leave it go at that because my engineer is telling me my right, time is out. We're going to get you back again, Franklin, because you have so much to add in terms of your insights into the markets, which is what we usually talk about here. But I wanted to set the table, let people hear about your story. And, folks, go to, uh, that is, the-moneychanger.com, the-moneychanger.com. And uh, the most dangerous man in the Mid-South is the uh, an article that uh, covers all and more than we were able to talk about today. Go there learn more about that and Franklin's services as well because he he really provides a lot of information a daily missive I think it's free of charge go there learn more about Franklin Sanders and we're hoping to have him back very soon on the show thanks very much Franklin for being with us and again we'll, we'll look to talk to you again very soon well folks that's all the time we have this week next week I will be talking to hedge fund manager Dave Kranzler who will share his insights into the gold manipulation market, what's going on in the manipulation of the gold markets, the paper markets, and the reasons underlying the need to suppress the price of gold. Part of that, we I think we sort of touched on with Franklin. I uh, didn't have enough time to get into it, but we will in the future. But next week, it'll be David Kranzler. And I do want to thank our sponsors uh, for making the show economically viable, Tacey Trump, my producer, Matt Weider, my engineer, and all of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye, and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Novo Resources Corporation, trading symbols NSRPF on the OTCQX and NVO on the Canadian Securities Exchange, is an advanced junior mining exploration company whose highly prospective assets are located in the Hammersley Basin of Western Australia. Novo's flagship asset, its Beaton's Creek Project, has an NI43101 compliant resource of 420,000 ounces at a grade of 1.5 grams per ton. With $10 million in cash and strong shareholder support from Newmont Mining, Novo looks to complete a feasibility study in the first quarter of 2015. 